No, that was Abraham. Moshe? Again, Chak Sameach to Los Angeles. The uh, idea of uh, staying up all night and studying, uh, more specifically on the night of, like, the uh, Yom Adihilula of uh, the Ari HaKadosh, this, this idea of staying up all night and the benefits are clearly uh, spelled out in the Ari HaKadosh's Sharuach HaKodesh. In the gates of uh, of the Holy Spirit, but which means uh, the the uh, the level of consciousness where time, space, emotion no longer uh, have dominion. And in that uh, volume, page thirty-five, I read the following: Vagav no machidush. And I would like to uh, share with you uh, uh, something new. Whoever is up all night and does not sleep at all, and the person indulges in the study of Torah this entire night, So the so the Yari HaKadosh is providing us with this information that one who remains awake for the entire evening has the benefit, has the benefit of removing a karet. Now what is a karet? On certain negative activities, not all, for instance, if someone steals, then he has created negativity uh, around him. However, that doesn't mean that the person's cut off from the light. <clears throat> he, ha he has, as the Ari mentions when he discusses certain aspects of the, um, of the prohibitions, meaning the reason for the prohibitions in the first place in the Torah is because these negative activities create negative forces around us which constantly are there to prevent us from... Uh, from fulfilling uh, certain uh, thoughts or certain objectives that we might have, these forces are always there to uh, lead us into another path, etc. Then there are those more stringent prohibitions, those prohibitions which the onish or the punishment, but of course we know there is no such, such idea as punishment, meaning punishment from God, but rather how the person himself or herself inflicts upon oneself the, uh, the, uh, the result of this, this uh, creation of a negative force. The Adi says it's, it's actually a negative angel that is there in place so to prevent, prevent any, any fulfillment, whatever might be the case. When it comes to uh, matters which are more severe, meaning negative activity, which involve karet, karet meaning from the word karet, 
it is a noun, but nevertheless it means a person becomes literally cut off, cut off from the light force, literally cut off from the light force, which means that as we understand in, in medical terms, so we're told that a person undergoes um, a degenerative process after a certain age. There's a force that's creating this gradual disintegration of the human body. Karet, karet places a very specific time frame around how rapidly and when this degenerative process begins and will end, meaning it will unfortunately cut the person's life, chaz shalom, uh, in, a, in a time span uh, much quicker than normally would have been the case. This is called karet. This force that shortens the lifespan of the individual. And so says the Ari, that one who uh, remains awake uh, the entire evening, and for that matter, kol laila, says the Ari, kol laila achat pote karet achat. So if we should have uh, for whatever reason, uh, been uh, participated in in the uh, kind of negative uh, activity that results in karet by being awake an entire an entire night, an entire night. One removes one of these one of these uh, uh, Onesh, one of these uh, active, negative, negative resultant activities which bring about ultimately shalom, death. And so one of these forces, if one has been, one has created many of these negative forces because of meg- many negative activities that have the severity of creating a karet, being, meaning cut off from the light, then by this process of, of studying of studying at night and being awake this entire evening, we remove one of these one of these negative forces from our midst. So this is the this is the reason why uh, the the idea of remaining uh, awake all all evening came from. Now I would like to uh, continue with a very strange. Um, Zoha, rather I should say the Kabbalists who have interpreted the Zoha as such. There is no Zoha on, on the Pashat Devarim, the first section of Deuteronomy. There is no Zoha. While there is one for every other uh, section. For Devarim, there isn't. And we also know that the sages have so scheduled the, the, um, the reading of the entire Torah throughout the year into weekly portions. Devarim, this first section of Deuteronomy, will always be read the Shabbat, before Tisha B'Av. 
every year, year in and year, year out, the calendar is so structured that if there is a leap year, then what they do is structure some of the weekly readings where there may be a double reading of two sections, then they they divide these this one section of two of two uh, readings into two different weeks, and all for the purpose that this devarim, this first reading of Deuteronomy, will always take place the Shabbat before before Tisha B'Av. And this year, since Tisha B'Av, the ninth day of Av, the day that the Zohar has declared is the day where Satan has full control over the activities, over all the activities that pertain to earth and mankind. The Shabbat, this Shabbat, preceding Tisha B'Av, which falls on Sunday, the parsha that we read will be Parshat Devarim. And there is no Zohar. There is no Zohar. Why is there no Zohar? But what is stranger than that is that next week's reading, Parshat Ve'etchanan, the next section of Deuteronomy, which will be read following Tisha B'Av, always following Tisha B'Av, the Kabbalists state in the right at the beginning, right at the beginning of of this of this Zohar, which explains for us uh, the section of Ve'etchanan again, which is the second second portion or second reading in Deuteronomy. That the section of Devarim, the section of Devarim is really there, but it's concealed. The Zohar did provide us with a uh, with an interpretation on the weekly portion of Devarim. Well, then where is it? Why is it blank? Pashat, and I quote now from, from the uh, Kabbalists, Pashat Elu Hadvarim Hu Pashat Balak Kisham Beito where will we find the Zohar's explanation on Devarim? We find it in Balak. Kisham Beito. Because that's where its home is. And this, many of the other Kabbalists of, uh, of, uh, of yesteryear also agree that this section in Balak, which I'll shortly uh, referred to is is really the, the is really the section that belongs to the reading of Parsha Devarim. Well, if it was, then why didn't they place it there? Why leave Parsha Devarim blank? And where is this section, Parsha Balak, from from paragraph? 29, paragraph 29, until paragraph 133. 133. It is not the entire reading of Balak, the section read, read in, uh, in Numbers. The section that we read 
just a few short weeks ago. But it's part, it's part of this section of Balak. And it runs again from paragraph 29 in the, in the Ashlag edition, of course, because most of you, I hope, are familiar with the, with the original Zohar that comes in three, three, book, three books. They are referred to as uh, Bereshit, Shemot, and the last three books considered section three. There are three sections, and they all appear almost as one long paragraph. It was Rabbi Ashlag that divided the Zohar into uh, into uh, uh, sections, meaning each Zohar into its particular with a with a uh, notation as to what the subject matter is being referred to, and also divided divided the Zohar into paragraphs. This did not exist prior to uh, uh, 1955. Anyone who would pick up an old edition of the Zohar would be reading one paragraph throughout each section. Wouldn't know where where uh, the section of uh, Balak begins or where it ends. It, and, and that which was contained in each section. So this great contribution Made, made the interpretation and understanding of the Zohar so much more understandable. Now, the section that the capitalist claim belongs to the interpretation of Pashat, or the section of the Valim, is the matter concerning Mamad Hayanuka. Strange as it sounds, this section, Ayunuka, Yunuka means the young child. That is the cap, that is the uh, topical caption. The young child, Yunuka. And I'll read uh, the first section, first two sections of this, and maybe we'll come to some understanding as to why, as to why the, uh, this section was omitted in the Zohar itself and concealed elsewhere. And without the Kabbalists informing us that this section that is actually placed in the Parshat Balak should be that Parshat which we which uh, will provide us with an interpretation and meaning of section Devarim. And I read from the Zohar. This is Parshat Balak, page thirteen, Yud Gimel, and paragraph twenty nine, Kaftet. Rabbi Yitzchak and Rabbi Yehuda hayu halchim baderech. They were walking along the way. Igiu laotamakom shel kvar sachnin, and they came to this village, little village, known as the village of Sachnin. Shahayasham Rava Amnuna Saba, and there lived Rava Amnuna Saba, the big fish, as he was referred to, the ancient fish. Minitarhu etzel ishto. And they and they uh, were invited by by this by the wife of Ramam Nuna Saba to stay with them. Shahayala ben Echad Katan, and she had a small child. And each day he would go to school. And this day he went to school and came back. 
and returned to his house, and he saw these wise men, students of Rabbi Shimon Bayohai, Rabbi Yitzchak and Rabbi Yehuda. Amra lo imo karev le'elu hanashim elyonim v'tikabel mehem brachot. And she and the mother of the child tells this little boy, "Come close to these uh, very uh, spiritual, uh, elevated people, and receive from them a blessing." Karav elehem, and he came close to them. Ba'od shahaya karav elehem. And the moment that he came close to them, Chazal Achorav, he withdrew. He withdrew. Amali Imo. And he says to his mother, I do not want to approach these people. Because in this day, they didn't pray the Kriyachma. The Kachlam Duli, and I have learned, and they taught me so. Anyone who does not read the Kriyat Shema Bismano in its day, and we, we are fortunate enough to understand what the Kriyat Shema is all about. It is not, as most people are under the impression, even unfortunately to this very day, that it refers to uh, the... Uh, the um, the total devotion, uh, the total uh, uh, subserviency to 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 the Creator, but rather, but rather through this through this uh, prayer, through this configuration of two hundred and forty-eight words, these these channel these words channel the light force into the bone structure, and ultimately improves strengthens the immune system. This is the reason for the uh, for the reading of the Kriya Shema. And he says, and if one who does not read the Kriya Shema each day in its time, that day he had failed. That day he is vulnerable. He is vulnerable. He is vulnerable. In other words, the, the immune system requires a daily injection. So... So is this little child stating to his mother. And, and this day, without that infusion of the Kriya Shema, these people, these people are, in, are vulnerable, meaning vulnerable to, to whatever negative forces are, 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 are around. I mean, we know that uh, while, while the medical establishment does not know why one contracts a disease and one doesn't etc according to the according to this little child who claims this is what he was told and this is what he learned that one who fails to to uh, to uh, read the Kriyachma each day becomes vulnerable to whatever to whatever might might have entered into into the presence of the individual who did not read the Kriya Shema. He becomes vulnerable. That doesn't mean everyone who is vulnerable, chas v'shalom, will, will, will uh, contract a disease, but the person is vulnerable. And therefore, he says, I don't want to approach these people because since they are vulnerable, then 
it might be contagious, and I don't want to approach. Now, we will learn later on that this child, this child was the ripe old age of six. And of course, this is what he could feel, he could know. Obviously, this child was, was not a normal child. It was a child that, that could, could read, could read like we read things which might be right before us. Although, as we, as we stated in the, in, the first, uh, in the first learning period that we had this evening, we, we now understand the rule of the paradox. If you say you're from Missouri, then you can be sure you're never going to see anything. If you say you're not from Missouri and you don't see anything, the chances are you can then acquire, you can then acquire sight. That's the paradox we live in this world. What's more is less. What's less is more. You want to, you want to breathe in the air? You have to breathe out the air. The whole world op operates on the, on the basis of a paradox. Paradox is what's true. What you see is probably not what is. What you do not see is probably what you will see. So in this case, this child, this child had this uh, elevated state of consciousness where he could just look at these two people, these two very spiritual elevated consciousness people, and, and understand that they did not they did not recite the Kriya Shema that day. Aim Shomu Tamu. They heard what this little boy was telling his mother. And they, Vitamu, they were startled. They picked up their hands and immediately blessed them. Amru and they said, Vadai Kahu. It is so as this little child has just told us. Shalokaranu Kriyachma. We did not read Kriyachma today. However, Shiyomaze Asaknu Bekatam Bekala Sholo Hayalehem Dait Sorkam. Bahayu Mitachim Lethaber. Velo Haya Ishish Tadel Bishvilam. What happened was. There was a case of a, a, a bride and, and a groom, and they did not have sufficient money to get married. And, in fact, they delayed the wedding. And there was no one there that could, that could act on their behalf to try to, to raise sufficient funds so that they could proceed and rent an apartment or whatever the, the necessities were at the time. And we... We were uh, involved with making an attempt to gather together sufficient funds so that they can, they could be married. And therefore, we did not, in fact, read the Kriyashma today. And whoever is involved in, the, in one in one positive activity, in one mitzvah, patur mina mitzvah, then he no longer, he no longer becomes vulnerable. He does not have to, he is patur mina mitzvah. If this is a, 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 an activity that requires time now, immediately. 
and therefore they told him, uh, it's true, we did not. But however, we did not become vulnerable because we were creating other positive, other positive, uh, um, uh, uh, other positive activity, uh, I should say angels around us, forces around us, that we would not have become vulnerable, despite the fact that we did not read the Kriya Shema. Amrulo, and they told him, Bani, Bamayadata, how did you know that we did not read the Kriya Shema? Amalahem, Berech Malbushechem, Hikati. Don't you understand, he says to them? The consciousness, consciousness prevails on the physical. It is not the physical that prevails on, on a person. Yes, we know that a person dresses well. People say, what? He must be a brilliant man, right? If he dresses well, then he must be a smart man. You know, that one has nothing to do with the other. Or if he dresses well, he must be a good man. Because if he dresses like a schlumper, you know, with torn clothes and so on, he must be stupid. Society does look upon people with their, out, with their outward dressing. However, we know the opposite is true. That the outward appearance, not that we are condoning everyone going around with, uh, but we do, we, do, uh, we do believe in the principle that Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah should not be a fashion show and therefore... We dress very modestly. Uh, we dress in white. I dress in white is so simple. All you need is a shirt and a pair of white pants, and and that's it. Steve. That doesn't indicate we're not doing that so that we can. Uh, well, I guess indirectly, maybe that's what the Zohar meant when he said that uh, uh, men should go dressed uh, in white. It might have been the reason because white is white. There's no different colors. No different designs and so on, just simply white. And so he said that I could tell by your the way you influenced, literally, literally, the clothes that you wear that I I could I could uh, I could recognize that you had not read the Kriya Shema. Karafti Alechem. When I came close to you, I could smell your clothes. I can smell your clothes. And of course, he wasn't talking about the clothes. Maybe it had food stains and, and it had an odor. He wasn't even discussing that kind of, uh, of, of, uh, of reach, meaning that kind of smell. But he, he, could, he could connect. He could touch almost, almost touch their consciousness. Tamu, and they, they became even more confused. Yoshvu, they sat down, not luyadehem. They washed their hands for Achlu Lechem. They broke bread together. Rabbi Yehuda Hayyadah Meluch Lachlot. Rabbi Yehuda, one of the two students of Rabbi Shimon Mayohai, his hands were dirty. And he was going to wash his hands and make the blessing over bread.
and before and before he washed his hands, Amalehem Ayelid, and the little child tells it tells to this Rabbi Yehuda, Im Talmidei the Rav Shamaya Chasidatem, Lo Hayal Lachem Levarech Biyadaim Mizuhamot. That if you really are the students of uh, of this Shamaya Chasid, meaning beside the uh, the students of Rabbi Shimon, there was another person that we rarely see. In fact, I think is, this is the only place that the Zohar mentions this person's name. Now he may not have been an individual, but or may not have been even an individual that lived in that that period. But in any event, he says if you were really meaning if you were were, were cognizant of what this Rabbi Shammai said. You should never have, you should never have uh, even come over to me. Remember, the mother said, come over to the child and receive a blessing. If your hands were dirty, how dare you think of blessing me if your hands are dirty? And I will continue with one more story and then because then goes on this whole discourse of this young child revealing secrets of the Torah, secrets of the Torah. But I think I think here, right at the very beginning, through these through this uh, dialogue between the um, the the child and and these two students, I think we will understand. No, I hope we will understand. I don't know what the answer is yet, but I guess we'll soon get the answer. And this child began and said, Addressing the Kohen in the, uh, in the tabernacle or in the temple, The, they were told, the priests were told, that when you come to the tabernacle, you must wash your hands because you can die. If you don't wash your hands, you can die. And we learn from this verse, that if one wants to pray, or if one wants to uh, do anything of a spiritual nature, he must wash his hands. We learn that because it says when the priest was coming to the whole, to the tabernacle, they were immediately told they must wash their hands. You cannot, you cannot pray or you cannot uh, perform something of a spiritual nature without washing your hands. Ma'atam, what is the reason? olam. The hands of people. Why we we believe that the hands are are instruments by which we can physically make contact with something that is physical. Said this little child, the hands of people do not sit here. Do not refer to, and are not here for the purpose of providing us with, with, with the uh, physical needs of 
of eating foods and etc., writing and so on, <clears throat> but rather the hands of, of human beings are directly connected into the upper celestial realm of the universe. And one finger, one finger, says Rabbi Asha, which finger is this? That is the middle finger. Middle finger, which is Kavam Sayi, the middle finger, central column, is Kenegan Moshe Shehu Kavam Sayi to Moshe Katav Lefanenu. This middle finger, and I think someone once mentioned to me that this little, this finger is sensitive to every part of the entire body. Is that, would that be correct? The the middle finger. Saturn. What's that? Saturn. No, I, I, that I understand, but it's somehow, it's, well, in any event. It's innervated by both sides of the hand. What's that? Both sides of the hands all connect. It's two nerves that so most of the fingers are one of the other nerves of the side of the arm. Well, I, I, someone once told me that. Maybe, maybe it's correct. But anyway, through this middle, the, the Zohar states that this middle finger, this middle finger is, is, is in touch with every part of the, in, in touch with every part of the body. And so this little child is stating the importance of, of keeping one's hand clean. And then they proceed on to uh, discuss some very deep sub subjects, very interesting uh, subjects. We may continue this maybe in the second section. What, in any event, what I've just read somehow relates to the explanation of the Vadim. And why was it placed here? Why in Balak? And what is the and what is the connection to the um, to this reading of this week, Devarim? The week of Devarim is called the week of the most of the most intense severity of judgment of the entire year, which culminates with Tisha B'Av. Every year, every year, Devarim will be in this period. So the idea that this, this section be, should be placed in Balak already gives us, provides us with an indication as to why it's in Balak. Because Balak, Balak and Bilam, both of them represented Amalek. Both of them represented the idea of uncertainty, the trademark of all chaos, pain and suffering that exists in the world. We all are tormented because we do not have the certainty of the future. We do not have the certainty of the realm that we cannot grasp. And therefore, because this week is the week of chaos, the epitome of all pain and suffering, 
I guess this section is placed in Bilam and Balak because if it was if it was placed right here in Devarim, Satan would be prepared for it. But we're coming, we're kind of addressing the same matter, trying to understand that our hands and our consciousness is connected to a higher realm. If we fail to make that connection, then we fail in our effort to overcome the uncertainty in our lives. But we'll continue this after after the uh, after the next session. We'll have a break now.